0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, talking about the Tigers today. Who we got with us?
1: Will Qualkenbush, friend of the program. Will, what's going on, man?
2: Mike, Joey, I'm doing great. Um, glad to be with both of you guys. I'm really excited to uh, chop it up a little bit about the Tigers I've not, I've not talked about Clemson very much at all uh, this offseason, so I'm really excited to you know, get the muscles going again.
0: Very uh, nondescript football program. Doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, really just kind of flies under the radar in a lot of ways. So you've got to remind the people that they're there sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of why I'm here, you know, just uh, just the long, like John the Baptist man, just the lone voice <laughs> the shouting in the wilderness.
0: <laughs> well, appreciate you joining us here again today, Qualk. And it's it's always fun having you on to help preview Clemson every year. Um, wanted to start off. We 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 start these a lot of times talking about the the head coaching situation at a lot of these programs and. We've mentioned on a couple of these already that there's a couple of these situations where the head coaching situation is just not interesting. There's just nothing that we can bring up, you know, about Dabo Swinney at this point. Like, there's no job, you know, job in danger situation going on, anything like that. Um, He's just going to be there, feels like as long as he's going to be there and do what he does. So what I did want to talk about was the coordinators. Um, One of the things we saw this offseason was something we have not seen him do, in, in my memory, at least in a long time, if not maybe throughout his entire tenure at Clemson is made the decision to move on from offensive coordinator, Brandon Streeter. I guess we'll call it a firing. Maybe that's a harsh word that Dabo didn't want to use, but you know, it's he fires Brandon Streeter goes out and gets Garrett Riley, who is the offensive coordinator of the TCU team that made the national title game. That's a, it seems like a huge upgrade. Um, what do you see? What went into that move? And do you think that that's, uh, does that make the entire difference for the offense coming into this fall?
2: Well, first of all, I will say that you're right in your description of Davos Twenty. It's, he's not that interesting uh, from the outside, but there were a lot of like narrative, overarching things that sort of came to a head in January. I was—I uh, do work for um, Clemson Women's Basketball, and I was about to shower uh, when the news of Brandon Street was firing, like before a game in a hotel room somewhere in the ACC. I can't remember exactly where I was. But that, like that, news came out, and it was, it was shocking. Uh, I don't think it was shocking that uh, Dabo Swinney eventually made a change, but it was shocking that it happened after one year with Streeter coordinating, uh, coordinating the offense. And the the reason for that, I think, probably there's some uh, there's some reason that it was shocking that it was grounded in something true, and some reason that it was grounded in a total falsehood that perpetuated within the Clemson fan base. The truth of the matter is this offense was better but not good enough last year. You look at any preview of DJ Uyunglele at Oregon State, and it will tell you that DJ was better. He had 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions. After an abysmal 21, that's a much better deal. He completed, uh, I think, around 62 63% of his passes. Much better deal. They ran the ball a little bit better, and they scored a little bit better. But when you consider these factors, uh, the Notre Dame game, in a horrendous weather situation, Notre Dame was able to establish the run. Clemson was not after saying in camp and then during the season that that's what they really wanted to do. South Carolina game. You've got four possessions down a point in your own stadium. You get one possession at the minus 45 and you can't even get a field goal. Now, we're not talking about you know a ticker with you got to get it inside the 15 to feel good. BT Potter can hit from 55. That's how... Sorry, Clemson wasn't moving the football at the end of the South Carolina game. Then you go to the Tennessee game where uh, you run 101 plays, you're a 500-yard offensive unit, and you can't score in the red zone. Now, some of that is BT Potter missing a bunch of field goals. He, he had one game a year his entire career where he just couldn't make a kick, and he didn't until the very last game of his career, which I kind of felt bad for him on that because uh, BT had a great season. But even so, you got to be able to find the end zone. And one thing that consistently showed up was that they just didn't run the ball. Like every loss, even some of the close wins, Brandon Streeter and Davos Winnie would be mowing the fact that, well, we probably should have given it to Shipley more. We probably should have given it to Moffa more. We probably should have taken a little bit of heat off the quarterback. That was a consistent thing. And when you're consistently doing that uh, over and over and over again, then that's why you need to, you need to make a change. It wasn't so much that Brandon Streeter was, you know, unacceptably poor at preparing or, you know, that the that the system was irrevocably broken. Uh, it was just that you weren't good enough and you were making the same mistakes. I think there was a little bit and I you, you talked to some people and um, I, I would love to have some true serum to kind of to kind of flesh this out. But you talked to some people, it was Dabo Sweeney who was pounding the table for Cade. You talked to some people, it was Streeter pounding the table for Cade. Basically, they couldn't come to a consensus on whether or not Klubnik was ready to play, and so they kept running uh, DJ out there. And, um, I mean, I, I would, I, I've had this argument several times, this discussion several times on air uh, during the offseason. There were about eight to ten teams in the, in the final AP Top 25 that won games with multiple starting quarterbacks, like getting them ready to play as starters. Clemson was not one of them. And so, you know, I would argue that for the second half of the year, Clemson didn't even get one starting quarterback ready to play in these games. The best quarterback performance in the second half of the year was Kade Klubnik off the bench against North Carolina in the ACC championship game. So I think all of those things, all of those things were were, were well founded. Now there's this other thing with Davo Sweeney, and this is where he gets a little more interesting internally, because there was this murmuring because of the inability to adapt fully to the portal culture and this notion that, by the way, is not true, that Clemson's not competing in NIL. There's a reason that Clemson was in that handful of, of uh, NIL collectives that went to D.C. Graham Nett, went to D.C. to lobby. Clemson's routinely in the top 10, 15, 20 in terms of aggression, in terms of uh, you know buying power. Um, you can see it on the basketball side. You can see it on the football side, certainly. you could see, You're starting to see it on the baseball, softball side, too, the Clemson's NIL situation is fine, but there's this perception that because Dabo doesn't lead with it, Clemson doesn't do it. And um, I actually think I actually think Dabo's not doing himself any favors uh, with fans and even some of the other coaches on campus because he, he sort of frames it as like it's not important, even though it is important. It's just not the main thing. So anyway, we can get into that another time. But um, there's a, there's a bit of a perception issue on that. But even among the fans people have said, well, Dabo's gotten soft. All he does is promote from within. He just wants to hire his people. You're not going to fire family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've tried to remind people, this is a guy that fired Billy Napier, who was his hand-picked offensive coordinator after three years, or really two years plus a few games, to hire Chad Morris. Like, Billy was promoted by Dabo. Like, one of the first things he did was fire Rob Spence and promote Billy Napier. So... Dabo is not more loyal than he wants to win. Was that Dabo's not? Sorry, more. Go ahead. Was
0: that the last assistant that he fired,
2: Billy Napier? Um, I'm trying to think. No, uh, Kevin Steele, 2011. Okay. So then yeah. there was a whole, um, there was a whole sort of overhaul offensively where it was Napier. It was. I'm trying to think. It was uh, Andre Powell, the running backs coach. And then somebody else left as well. They, they had the, they had an overhaul there. And then Kevin Steele was fired in 2011 and brought in Brent Venables. So it, ha- it had been a while, but really you could say Clemson had guys who needed to be fired. That's not to say they were winning the Broils Award every year, but you, you didn't have guys that needed to be fired. And I think if you asked Dabo Sweeney, he didn't think Brandon Streeter needed to be fired. Um, but he was willing to upgrade that spot sort of in a ruthless, like, throat-slit move, wait to see if a replacement emerged before making a move for Streeter, which, you know, if you believe that Clemson's this, like, Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, like, we're just skipping around the Rose Garden, that kind of place, uh, those kind of places don't fire your next-door neighbor and a guy who's been in the program and a guy who... Uh, uh, an award in Clemson's athletic department is named after him, Brandon Streeter, because he played through a broken collarbone when he was a quarterback here. You don't just fire that guy uh, after waiting to see if a better alternative comes up. That ain't how you do things. If it's like a soft program. So this idea that Dabo is, is more focused on building a certain kind of program than he is about winning, I think went by the wayside and you, you know, you, you, you had these people who said, well, Dabo, he just wants to hire from within. That's what he wants to do. And, uh, you know, it, it takes some courage, I think, to know how you want to build a program, that sort of small business model where we've got what we need in-house and we'll just pass it all down the line. We're going to train people up. We're going to hire when we need to, but we'd really like to promote from within. it's the same basic principle that he uses with his players and, and kind of eschewing the portal unless it's absolutely necessary for a backup situation. Um, he basically has started to tear that down. Um, I'm not saying it's going to go down to the studs, but that personally, I think that takes a really strong and humble person to do that, to say, this is what I think a program should look like. And then to say, well, maybe it's not. And I should go get the best guy. And lo and behold, he didn't just fire Brandon Streeter and hire somebody. He hired the best coordinator on the market. So that like that's the that's the the part of this on the offensive side that's bringing some real intrigue, and I think it's added a jolt of excitement to Clemson fans too because there were lots of folks who fell into that camp of Davo's too soft to win another national championship, and I think those folks have been reinvigorated.
1: I believe that. Um, I'm just thinking through like Nick Saban he adjusts. His mindset, right, years ago with, oh, power run, power run, power run. And now all of a sudden we have Tua, we have Jalen Hurts, um, go on down the list. We have all these quarterbacks that now can create in a spread offense. That's what we're going to run now because that's where college football is headed. I think that Dabo kind of breaking the mold of hiring from within, not necessarily going outside the program very frequently, not necessarily firing family, so to speak, very frequently. Kind of going outside and breaking the mold, Joey and I said it at the time when he decided to move on to from Brandon Streeter and hire Garrett Riley that we thought that was a really important move for Dabo Swinney to make, not because you know Dabo and Clemson would necessarily fall off to like an eight win program. Joey and I never thought that, but what Joey and I thought from the outside is that this is a team that's taking a clear step back from a national championship level if they continue down the path of this Brandon Streeter offense that is not as explosive as years past. Some of that is offensive coordinator driven. Some of that is quarterback driven, right? The fact that they went back to back generational quarterbacks the position, right at the college level with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and then just having naturally a little bit of a fall off from DJ who, you know, did improve last year was a better quarterback. But I think what was clear is Clemson was lacking that explosive offense that we've seen in the past, even still, even with the improvement last year, which is why I think bringing Garrett Riley in, qualk to your point, does add an element of excitement in terms of how explosive this Clemson offense can be, just from a scheme perspective, before you even bring in the, the offensive skill talent that Clemson still has on the roster.
2: Well, and I think one of the things that's cool about it is that, you know, Lincoln Riley and Davos Sweeney, in terms of the way they built, have built their programs, very polar opposite but the reason Garrett Riley's at Clemson is because Dabo's on the phone with Lincoln Riley bouncing names off of him. And he says, what about my brother? And Dabo's like, well, he wouldn't come. And sure enough, he was interested and willing and wanted to come. Now, I'm also going to say this. Like, Dabo, I think Clemson fans get a bit of a complex about this. Like, Dabo's the, you know, the pure messiah or whatever. I mean, they probably would use that strong language. But, like, he's the only guy that's doing it the way that, that's good and everybody else sucks. I think if Dabo 20 were building Clemson when Lincoln Riley was building, let's say, Southern Cal, he would use the portal. Like, he just would. He just is not in a position where he has to do it, um, right. To do it right now. To your point, Mike, about the... Um, about it, It's interesting about coaches making adjustments. If you listen to Nick Saban this offseason, and if you look at the trajectory to the Alabama quarterback battle right now, if Jalen Milroe really has the, the inside track there it looks like Alabama's going back to like Jalen Hurts um, because Milroe looks a little bit like Hurts. And so I kind of think Staven's like, okay, you know, Georgia's ground and pound. They're more physical than us. We've lost a little bit of that. We need to get back to that. And I think Davo's kind of doing the same thing. I mean, when Chad Morris came in 2011, he came preaching tempo. The guy chugged Red Bulls uh, all day, every day. And it was go, go, go. But Davo called the offense the power spread. And uh, they've already uh, they've already sort of um, they've sort of turned the the Garrett Riley offense the dirt raid because of how passionate he is about running the football. And why wouldn't you be when you, your two best skilled players are Will Shipley and Phil Moffa and you've got a quarterback in Cape Clubnick that certainly is capable with his legs? I mean, Garrett Riley had a twelve hundred yard rusher last year, um, and then he had a six hundred yard rusher behind him that ran the ball something like three hundred and forty times thereabout, maybe a little bit off there, but I mean, they they ran the ball at TCU. Quentin Johnston and Max Duggan and the receivers uh, got the glory there, but, like, Kendrick Miller Miller's a stud. Um, you know, that run game was very, very good. And so I think this is a little bit of Dabo saying, okay, we've had this offense, it worked a little bit, but there's been some inertia where we kind of just tried to do a little bit too much and we, we maybe been a little bit passive. One of the things that I've said since 2019, 2020 and I'm not the one originating it, but lots of folks. I would say fans started noticing it before a lot of the media types did that, you know, Clemson's doing a lot of letting the defense tell them what to do. Um, You know, it was that we're going to take what the defense gives you. Well, when you have T. Higgins and Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Mike Williams and Jordan Leggett and, uh, you know, Deion Kane and, you know, those guys, Justin Ross, Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Like, when you have those guys, yeah, you can take what the defense gives you. But when you stop having the horses, then the defense is going to win those battles. And so I think now Clemson's back to we're going to tell the defense what we're doing and we're going to dare them to stop us and we're going to make it difficult for them to know what's coming. And you're already seeing a little bit of that take shape in camp where the defense is noticeably frustrated and sort of um, sort of communicating that in interviews. Um, and we like we've seen a fight on the practice field. Been a little bit since Clemson had players kicked out of practice for, like, you know, players plural kicked out of practice for for fighting like that. And so I think it has ratcheted things up because there is an intensity, there is a confidence, there is a certain vibe that Garrett Riley brings to this offense that not only has invigorated the players, but I think this offseason too, they talked a lot about accountability. And uh, Dabo's fond of saying that this is the most accountable team he's had in terms of they, they, they uh, have a point structure somehow. And the, the guys have been more accountable, whatever that means. Um, I think the coaches too, like when you listen to the way people are like insiders talk about it and, uh, you know, the way that, that staffers and coaches, and I've heard different people talk about, there's just a, there's a different feel. I mean, like the families of the coaches feel it. And so, you know, there's some negative to that because, you know, I, I, I won't say country club, but I mean, if you're in the Clemson family, I mean, we've talked about it. You feel like you're in. Well, now, if you're Tyler Grisham, for instance, and your receiver core, I'm a big fan of Grisham, but if your receiver core has been lackluster at best the last two years, you know, it's starting to feel a little hot and see your pants. Um, Because if they can fire Brandon Streeter, if if Devin Swing can fire his neighbor, then he can fire you at any moment. And so it's not just a reinvigoration for the players and the fans. I think there's also been a little bit of a reinvigoration and a refocusing of the coaches and maybe there have been a little bit of a lull developed there as well.
0: Let's take a quick second to remind you about section 103.com is the internet's premier place for all things. Wonderful, wonderful Georgia tech apparel. They have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They got a couple of three quarter shirts. They got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia tech fan in your life can use something from section 103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts. Uh, shirts, you know, jerseys, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. They got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it, too. So just keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, They've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com. Or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech Apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I
0: want to hit on strength of the team here, Qualk. If there's any one or two units on this team, position groups, that are the real strength, lots of depth, that you think will be maybe the calling card that kind of carry this team throughout the season, who, what would that be?
2: Well, I think, I think it starts – people are going to start with linebacker, but linebacker is really a strength-weakness um, sort of uh, 50-50 because there's not a lot of depth there. They only have six scholarship bodies. T.J. Dudley uh, kicked off the team a few weeks ago for some violations of team rules that are uh, very Internet-worthy at the moment. Um, so well, I will just leave it at that. But um, you've got Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter who are both potential first-round picks if things go right. Um, people say that's, that may be the best tandem of linebackers in college football. Wade Woodass is a terrific sort of third wheel there who's going to play some Sam linebacker. He's also he's filled out. He's put on about 15 pounds. So if one of those guys goes out, like right now Trotter's dealing with a minor injury, he's being held out, which is giving Woodass some more reps in the box, which allows Clemson to play with their extraordinary safety depth. Now, I don't know that they have like a star at safety. Uh, Andrew Makuba is the name. Uh, Jalen Phillips and RJ Mickens are the older guys, and they've got some young guys. So Khalil Barnes made plays in the spring and continues to make plays in practice as a true freshman. I think mean, he, he's the freshman that probably I'm most high on. That's also, there's a chance that he redshirts because there's so many old guys there at safety. And so, if you can move Wood inside to spell Carter and Trotter, it allows you to use a third safety down in the box like they kind of want to do. Um, and so, I, I say all that to say, The real strength of this team, uh, there will will likely be some skepticism here. And I think the national perception is different than the the local perception on this is the the defensive line. Now, I don't think the perception is different on this year's defensive line. But I think there's some skepticism in Clemson Nation about defensive line play because you just had, I mean, we talked about this. You had three different guys on your defense that were first-round caliber players. In Trenton Simpson at linebacker, in Brian Brzee, defensive tackle, and Miles Murphy at defensive end. You have three of those guys leave. Simpson played out of position, couldn't play in the box. Uh, the the linebacking core really emerged in November, and Barrett Carter just exploded in November when he and Trenton Simpson switched spots. And they were trying to play Simpson inside because that's where he fits better on the uh, on the NFL level, probably. I'm not sure that did him a whole lot of favors uh, because he just wasn't quite as uh, he wasn't quite as productive there. Carter was productive in the box, and so you had Simpson kind of playing out of position. So you know you lose a really good player, but like you feel like you can put that back. Murphy, I'll just go ahead and say it: great NFL talent, super talented guy, one of the most overrated players that I've seen in the Dallas Winnie era. Five-star recruit, uh, he was productive, but you didn't really see him take over many games. Uh, he was very inconsistent with his pass rush. You didn't notice him. I think if you walk down the street at Clemson, I know this is a high bar, but like when you're replacing Cleveland Farrell and Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and Austin Bryant, those guys, like if you can walk down the street of downtown Clemson and nobody knows who you are, that's not good. Like you're you're not leaving a mark on the program like that. Miles Murphy is gonna be a guy that was drafted very highly out of Clemson that Clemson fans won't miss. Because you've got guys in spades coming in. You've got Xavier Thomas, who's back up front. You've got young guys. T.J. Parker has really um, emerged as a freshman. that could help him on the edge. And then it's the deep, It's the best defensive tackle group in America. Nick Easton has built a behemoth inside with Tyler Davis and Ruka Arororo. Rook, I think, is going to be a first-round pick by the time this thing is done. He can flex out the end some, especially in the 3-4 alignment. Um, this is a guy that had not played a lot of football. He's one of those projects that's really worked out. And, um, and then you've got young guys behind them. Well, you've got older guys. DeMonte Capehart was a former five-star recruit. Trey Williams, a former four-star recruit. Older guys that have been in the pipeline. And then Peter Woods, who is a freak, um, five-star kid from Alabama that they brought in late in the process last year. Um, you've got Vic Burley inside as well, who's going to be really, really good. The Green's green is going to be really, really good they got to figure out how to get snaps for those guys. Peyton Page is a guy who came in at 400 pounds. He's down to 315 at the nose. Just a, a massive human being that's really remade his body. Defensive line, and particularly defensive tackle, is the strength because there's depth. I think linebacker will be the answer um, on the defensive side, but that's only because of the top two, maybe three. So I'm going to say defensive tackle. On the offensive side, is very clearly running back. With Shipley and Maffa, but then a little bit like linebacker, Behind those two guys, there are some what-ifs. There are some sort of, like, low uh, scholarship guys, like in your bottom 15 or 20 scholarships, like Keith Adams Jr., whose dad uh, had a billion tackles when he played linebacker at Clemson in the 90s. Um, You've got guys like um, the Haynes kid that's come in and the Green kid that's come in, Um, both freshmen that have made a mark. Uh, You have a guy named um, Dominic Thomas who's named Quadzilla. He's like 5'8" and he has the thickest quads you've ever seen. Um he's probably a number 3 running back right now as a walk on. So the running backs because Shipley and Moffer are there are going to are going to be pacing this thing. Outside of that there are questions. Um Klubnick's leadership, his intangibles, his playmaking ability not at all in question. Decision making very much in question. Pocket presence very much in question. Ability to you know, throw the ball away, like take, you know, not take a sack. Those, those are things that he's going to learn. Um, Davos Sweeney actually a couple days ago after scrimmage compared him to Deshaun Watson and that he makes a mistake and nobody cares because he doesn't care. And he said this about Deshaun. He said, you knew you were going to score 40. He throws a pick. You knew you were going to score 40. And um, so I'm like, well, this, like, he really thinks that Nick going can be a 40 point a game quarterback. And, you know, maybe he does. Major questions at receiver, then EJ Brenning stool, stool to step up at tight end. And um, I, I would say, I would say offensive line is probably a relative strength too. You got four starters back. Um, you have uh, everything but left tackle solidified, and there are I mean if you believe Dabo, there are five legitimate candidates. That's wrong. Dabo's always uh, Pollyanna about that. That's that's just not right. There are probably two candidates at left tackle, neither of whom have very much experience. But particularly inside, you have Marcus Tate, a third-year starter. You have Walker Parks, uh, who is a multi-year starter at tackle and guard. And you have Will Putnam, who moved over to center last camp. He's very comfortable in that role. Um, you've got better depth there. Young guys have come along. I think they've hit on recruits there. I think on the offense, I would say, it's sort of like the defense, running backs are like linebacker, But then in terms of depth and experience, the O-line is kind of like the D-line there. So I would say O-line maybe because of depth. On offense and uh, D line, particularly D tackle on defense, and I know I just answered like four other questions the questions <laughs> besides the ones you asked, but that's how I got there. I had to I had to show my work a little bit.
1: You uh, you also answered a few of our additional questions, which was good. But <laughs> <laughs> receiver position is is one I'm curious about because we touched on this a little bit earlier. We were talking about like the stud receivers had in the past there's go down the list: Watkins, Hopkins. Deion Kane, Renfro, Mike Williams. I mean, you could, the list goes on and on. Uh, Justin Ross, I didn't even name there. Who are the guys on the outside for people to be aware of when they're watching Clemson play? Because Clemson, it, is it more the, the skill position talent on the outside? And is that more to blame for the lack of explosiveness? That Okay, Brandon Streeter's offense just naturally wasn't as explosive. The answer probably lies somewhere in between, right?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of all that. Um, you know, this offense, when it was originally designed, there were a lot of shots. Um, one of the years, I think it was 2019, at one point in the season, Trevor Lawrence had thrown, like, 2.6% of his passes between the hashes. Like, that offense with Trevor Lawrence, um, and, and, you know, I would I would say Trevor Lawrence, maybe a little bit of Kelly Bryant, too, um, and then D.J. Uyunglele, very much outside the hashes. Did not want to attack the middle of the field, didn't even try. And when you have Martavis Bryant, when you have Mike Williams, when you have New Hopkins, when you have these frisbee-catching dogs, you can do that. You can afford to make that happen. DeAndre Overton, who's 6'6", you know, even a guy like Cornell Powell um, late in his career could do that. Um, you, you didn't have those uh, the last two years for a number of reasons. I think one of them is that you brought in some guys in 19 and 20 that didn't pan out. Joseph Ngata, undrafted five-star kid from California, undrafted free agent in the NFL, not healthy, not consistently productive. Frank Ladson, now at Miami, super burner, probably a one trick pony in terms of speed, not a great locker room guy, not consistent in his work habits, not consistent in producing on the field, transfers out. Um, you got a guy it's like, only natural. Oh, so sorry,
1: sorry, Qualk, It's only natural he goes and plays in Miami after the descriptions <laughs> you just gave. Continue.
2: That's right. And you know what he was. You know what he was. He was actually decently productive last year in Miami. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's some. Uh, I'm sure there's some give and take there. You know, I'll, I'll be. A, I'll be a little more gracious. I, I'll say too. He burned me a couple times with preseason predictions, so I do hold a grudge against him for that. Um, I, you know, the like Bo Collins um, has been a, a little bit of an injury problem. Maybe a little bit soft. Um, in fact, you know what, while I'm thinking about that, one thing that people don't talk about as much, and I'm, I'm saying like my people, like people in our audience, people who are here, and I, so I know people around the country are talking about it. You know, when Clemson's offense was clicking at its best, we're talking like even the Taj Boyd era uh, back in the early 2010s, 2015, 16 with Deshaun Watson. I would say even heightened in 17 with Kelly Bryant because of the importance of the run game. There were rugged perimeter blockers. There were guys that would stick their nose in, put a hat on a hat, drive a cornerback. I actually, uh, I was having this conversation a few days ago and I couldn't remember the game. I was like, what game was it where Sharon Peek just like, leveled a corner and just kept driving him backwards and then like drove him into the ground a couple times like multiple penguins. It was on a long touchdown i was like was that the was that one of the miami games and like three uh, our text line blew up and it was like three different games and that's that's kind of the point that every single game those guys played that you could see a physical presence now it manifested in catching 50 50 balls and kind of mossing cornerbacks and uh, Mike Williams and, uh, and New Conkins had basketball background. So it's like, you know, getting a rebound, that kind of stuff. So you had that, but you also had willing blockers and capable blockers. And I think this team has lacked that toughness, not just in catching the ball in the air, you know, uh, hand fighting with corners, winning battles, that kind of stuff. Um, not just mental toughness and trying to shrug off a quarterback's mistakes or things like that. But I think the physical toughness in the run game, the the wide receiver group has got to return to that. Adam Randall appears to have that type of toughness. He's got some big playability, a little bit inconsistent. and is coming off an ACL. He's a freshman from Myrtle beach. Antonio Williams was the, the top. Uh, he was the, the, the most explosive dynamic receiver uh, last year. And so I'm interested to see in year two, what that looks like for him. He came from Dutch Fork high school, which basically wins a state title every year. Um, Will Taylor, who was a two sport guy, who's now focused on baseball could be a first round pick in baseball as his quarterback. So like, that that's a that's a really really good program in South Carolina. He was ready to contribute early. I mentioned Bo Collins. To me, he's got to be he has got to be a stud. He has got to emerge in year three as a guy who can get things done because it appears they've hit on recruits in this cycle. They really like uh, Tyler Brown, is a kid from right up the road at Greenville High School, who is. I'll admit that was that's probably my favorite guy in the recruiting class because he, he was committed to Minnesota. And like if he had gone to Minnesota, that guy would have he would have made a huge imprint immediately, because he's got short area quickness, agility for days, knows how to play beyond his years. He's just a football player, all right. And um, so they've got him in the pipeline. They've got a couple other receivers they really really like in the pipeline as well as young guys. And then they've recruited two uh, high four or five stars in the upcoming class. This is a this is an important year for the wide receiver position, not just for these players, which it is. But also for, I mean, I believe it's for Tyler Grisham, Um, because of uh, you know he was he's like Davo Sweeney's guy. If, If Brandon Streeter was family, Davo Sweeney was Tyler Grisham's position coach. Tyler Grisham turned down opportunities to be on NFL coaching staff so that he could stay at Clemson in a support position with the promise that he would be a position coach one day. So this is that that this is a big deal that it's a little bit hot under the collar for him. He really likes that group. I think they have been more. Um, more challenged, and they have been more of a challenge in this new scheme because I think one thing the, the other scheme wasn't doing, to so your question, Mike, about about the balance of this, the scheme was designed to throw nine routes. It wasn't designed to scheme guys open. They just they were kind of trying to keep it simple. We'll just see what the defense is doing, you know, see the matchup pre-snap that we like, and then just go attack it. Um, this offense is not going to do that. They're going to use bunch formations. They're going to use a lot of the air raid concepts. They're going to cross. They're going to maneuver. They're going to do all kinds of stuff to create confusion and chaos for the defense. And they're going to run just a few things out of it to to still keep it simple. And um, so I expect this receiving group to be better, but they've got to stay healthy. They've already been healthier in camp than they've been in a while. And they've got to be consistently productive, not just catching the ball and running routes, but also blocking on the exterior for the run game.
0: Kwok, I want to hit the schedule real quick and and looking at this and with most seasons, uh, th- there's maybe three games on this schedule. If you really squint and turn your, turn your head a little bit and kind of look at it, there's maybe three games that Clemson could possibly be an underdog in. Uh, but that's probably probably a stretch and depends entirely on what Notre Dame and South Carolina turn into this year. Um, When you look at this schedule and the way that it's laid out, I mean, a lot of these games, the the toughest games on the schedule are pretty well scattered throughout. You don't have a lot of back-to-back situations here. Would you be more nervous about some of these big games? Again, again, I, I think about the Florida State game in late September. I think about the Notre Dame game at the beginning of November. And I think about the road trip to South Carolina on Thanksgiving weekend. Are you more nervous about those games, or would you be more nervous about some of the spots surrounding those games, such as the week after Florida State, you go on the road to play Syracuse, or the week before Notre Dame, you go on the road
2: to play NC State? You know, that's a great question, and I mean, I, I would concur with your assessment that this is like, if you squint really hard, you might get them to 9-3. and three. This is a 10-win program. Sometimes it takes the bowl game to get to 10, but it's a 10-win program. Um, and so you're. It's hard to see this team going any worse than ten and two. You know, I would I would tend to subscribe to this theory. Um, if we were talking about this earlier this week, actually on my show, if if, if Clemson beats South Carolina, if they just get a field goal one of those last four drives, like I was talking about earlier, then they've got a win streak at home that dates back seven full seasons. Hadn't lost a home game since 2016. Okay, if that's true. How nervous are we about Florida State? How nervous are we about Notre Dame? To what extent have we maybe overcorrected and said, well, Clemson lost one home game by one point to a rival that hadn't beat them in almost a decade, so now they they maybe can lose every home game. You know what I mean? Like, I think this schedule sets up great for Clemson because the two best teams on their schedule and the two toughest teams on their schedule, they get at home with Florida State early, which, by the way, uh, again, uh, Florida State has not beaten Clemson since 2014. They have not beaten Clemson in regulation. Since famously in 2013, Jameis Winston came and put up a 51-14 beatdown on Clemson at home. That was one of the worst losses of the Dabo Swinney era. Uh, Coincidentally, I think maybe the worst loss since then was the Notre Dame game uh, Mm -hmm. last year in South Bend, where Notre Dame physically punked Clemson in a way that teams generally haven't been able to, even if they've had better lines of scrimmage. That was a thorough a beating. As I've seen Clemson take in a long, long time. And so, from a matchup standpoint, it might be Notre Dame because I don't think they're just going to totally go away from their identity. Now, Tommy Reese is at Alabama. So, you got a new coordinator there. Um, You know, you've got Sam Hartman, who has had some ups and downs against Clemson, was very good against Clemson last year with a very green and injured cornerback position, getting absolutely roasted for three quarters in that game. Um, so I, I, don't know what that's going to do to change, uh, Notre Dame's offensive look, but in terms of physicality and in terms of what they were able to do against Clemson, I would say that's maybe the biggest concern. I still think Florida State's got to prove it. Mike Norvell has one ranked win at his time at Florida State. He is 0 for his career in, uh, games against ranked teams away from home. So, uh, road and neutral, now, this is his best team, but can Mike Norville win a big game is something that I – like, that's something that I really, truly believe is a question, especially when you consider, like, a lot of the – a lot of the hype surrounding Florida State in this offseason is because they barely beat two six and 6-6 six teams at the end of last season. Like, when you think about it, when you say they beat Florida and they beat Oklahoma and look how the offense looked and all that stuff, that sounds great, but, like, Florida sucked and Oklahoma sucked. And no one that played those teams to say they were any good, right? So, so like, I, I wonder where this is coming from. And, by the way, last year Florida State lost to the three teams that they have to beat. The three biggest games on their schedule, they all lost. The LSU game notwithstanding, and I've argued with Florida State fans all offseason, uh, LSU was only ranked for one of the first, like, nine weeks of the season. They were ranked 25 and immediately bounced out. That wasn't a ranked team till November. So no, Florida State did not beat a ranked team. They beat Game 1 Brian Kelly LSU in a game that probably uh, well, I could they they would say they probably should have won by more. I could say on the other on the other hand, LSU probably should have won, um, you know, uh, they probably should have won the game. My point in bringing all that up is I think Florida State has got to come out and prove it. And when when you've had sort of a historical problem with a team oftentimes you're not just going to be able to barely crack that door open and walk through. You're going to have to kick it down. And I wonder if Florida State is that kind of team and program that can just uh, kick it down. If you want to know my thoughts about the, the trickiest game on the schedule, I'm starting to talk myself into NC State. Clemson lost in double overtime in 21 on the road. Um, and I, I am really, really high on Brendan Armstrong and Robert and I. I think people are sleeping on that combination – um, I remember Clemson's coaches talking about when they played Virginia in the ACC title game a couple years ago about what a problem Armstrong was. And for the first half of that game, he was. And he will be uh, because eye is going to let him cook. That Virginia offense was historically reliant on the quarterback to do literally everything. And so, like, I don't care as much about who's going to catch the ball. Don't care. Who was there at Virginia? Guys that Brennan Armstrong found, Right. I mean, we're talking about three-star guys that Brent Armstrong found. That's NC State. Who's going to run the ball? Who cares? Brent Armstrong's going to run the ball. So I, I think that's actually—I think that's the trickiest spot. I mean, maybe you could say in Miami. Some a lot of people like North Carolina. I'm still not totally sold. I think Chip Lindsey's a downgrade offensive coordinator there, and I still have major questions about that remade defense. Um, so, like, I would say ten and two is probably a good floor for this team. Maybe you could say nine and three. Um, I think they probably dropped one of these games somewhere. I just don't think they're quite good enough, quite, quite uh, crisp enough. Um, they, don't, they just don't have that right mentality to be able to go 12-0 through the schedule. But it's hard to know where that's coming because, as I said at the beginning of this answer, uh, their toughest opponents and their toughest matchups are at home, where Clemson still has lost one game since Donald Trump was elected in 2016. So like, that, Coincidence? Like, that's a lot freaking... <laughs> right, right. People are talking, they're saying things true. <laughs> uh, but they To me, we've forgotten that because they lost their most recent home game. And so, I like, I, I think that's something that we have to consider here.
1: I, I'm I'm with you on the 10-2 prediction. I look at the schedule. I think NC State's a really tricky game. Notre Dame at home, for the reasons you mentioned, the physicality problem that Clemson went up against last year. I think Clemson will be better equipped in that game this year offensively, but I do think that's a tough game. You do get them at home. I think that's helpful. Uh, I got to see it with South Carolina. I I know South Carolina's uh, getting better under Shane Beamer, no doubt about that. But I just wonder if last year was a little bit of an aberration just because of how mediocre the Clemson offense was in terms of just putting points on the board towards the end of the year. And then I agree with the North Carolina point. The game where I think, I mean, all eyes are on the September 23rd game against Florida State. I think Clemson, I'm of the opinion, like, Florida State's my pick to win the league because I think they have the best team on paper. I think your point about Norvell is well taken in terms of, like, not being able to win a big game. We haven't seen it yet. I think that's fair. I'm just going to go 10-2 and two because I think there are two losable games on the schedule somewhere, mm-hmm. whether it's NC State or maybe South Carolina. Notre Dame like there are two losable games here and I think that Clemson still has to prove it in terms of like explosiveness offensively but this is one of the best teams in the ACC and they're still one of the best teams in the ACC so I'm gonna go with 10 and 2 um could they get to Charlotte absolutely do they play in the ACC championship probably like and probably against Florida State and I think it'll be a rematch there um and we'll kind of see what happens but I think 10 and 2 is where I'm sitting with this team go
0: I was at ten and two as well. I I, I kind of wanted to go eleven and one, but I feel like there's there's enough spots on here, and uh, there's been enough inconsistency in recent years that I don't know that Garrett Riley fixes the entire problem. Um, I I'm going to pick Florida State to win that game, not not because I think Clemson's all of a sudden vulnerable at home. You know, I I wasn't aware of the the home winning streak that was you know barely broken there. Um, it's more about, you've got like a 60 year quarterback in Jordan Travis, you've got, you know, veteran, uh, depth all throughout that Florida state roster versus again, kind of breaking in and still a young Cade Clubnick and a new offensive coordinator. I just, I think that spot lends itself to Florida state, but I, I picture Florida state and Clemson in a rematch for the ACC championship in early December. And I would be very surprised if there was something else that happened there, if there was anybody else involved. Um, I'll say 10-2 because I think they lose that game, and I think they drop another one. We've mentioned a couple of the big games, but then there's also a couple of the spots where it you know might not be the best in terms of a look-ahead spot or something like that. So I'll say 10-2 as well, and uh, I think we're all in agreement on that. And we all see Clemson in Charlotte come December. Yeah,
2: and I'll, I'll say one more thing about that. You know, uh, I, I didn't mention the Duke game on Labor Day, which I think is a, another tricky spot because – for a Clemson fan, playing Duke is supposed to be, you know, it's a quasi-home game up in Durham. It's a nice leisurely road trip. You play a bunch of the backups and all that stuff. The last time Clemson radically changed its offensive approach in 2011, the team got booed off the field at home at halftime against a three-win Troy team, and they were up eight with, like, a minute left, and Wofford had the ball after they faked the field goal of 35-27 or something like that, so, like, that there are going to be some growing pains with this offense. I don't think they're just going to show up in Durham and just light Duke on fire because Duke has as much returning talent as anybody in the in the league, including Clemson and Florida State. I would say they have the most, uh, you know, uh, coming back, and they have a tougher schedule. So I'm not saying they're going to win nine or ten games, but um, that's one to watch too because I think if there if the wrong assumptions are made about that game, that people could overreact and say. Oh, you know, uh, Gary Riley doesn't have it or this and that. I think that will be a tougher test than people realize um, for Clemson up in Durham. Just like, I, I think they probably win by like 10 to 14, but it's not going to be up two touchdowns and maintain. It's going to be a bit of a grind and a bit of a slog to get there. I'd kind of be surprised if it wasn't.
0: Qualk, this has been a ton of fun. Really appreciate you coming on. You want to tell the people where they can find your stuff real quick?
2: Yeah, man, at Quawk Talk on Twitter, you can listen to us every day from noon to 3 on Clemson's flagship radio station, uh, 105.5 The Roar. Uh, we have an app, too, uh, The Roar mobile app, so you can catch us anywhere, and uh, we have a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. As y'all can tell, there's a reason we bring Quawk on. He's, he's informed and he's entertaining, so go check him out there. Once again, at Quawk Talk on Twitter or at 105.5 The Roar there in Clemson. Go check him out. Mike, we got to get out of here. You want to come back and preview some more teams?
1: We're, we're almost there.
0: We're almost there. We're on the, yeah, we're on the home stretch here. So we'll come back and do that. In the meantime, find us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, again, Twitter at FTRS Joey, at Mike McDaniel SI, at BC Podcast ACC, and once again at Qualk Talk on Twitter. Uh, send us an email, longest email address on no demand Podcast at gmail.com. Thank, Thank you. Luke. Where else, Mike, on the social medias?
1: Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find uh, some of our podcasts there. YouTube.com slash at the ACC football podcast, I think. For now. As long as we haven't changed it. Yeah, as long as we haven't changed it by the time you're listening to this podcast. That's right.
0: That's right. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here?
1: Oh, Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Just want to sneak that Do out. it for the
0: gram. Yep. Mike, it's been fun. You want to come back preview some more teams? Yes, sir. Let's do it. We're getting there. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel. For Mr. Will Qualkenbush, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. Until then, go Tigers and go ACC.